Hello, everyone, and either welcome or welcome back to the Agenda Libertarian Podcast. If you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page where you do get early access and exclusive content. Link will be down in the show notes. So it is time again for another weekly roundup, which is, I apologize, a day late because over this past weekend, I was at the LP Georgia convention and I did not get to record on my normal time on Sundays because I just wasn't here and everything kind of ran a bit late. And by the time I got home, it was just too late to to even start doing this. So I apologize for the tardiness, but I had a good reason. So anyway, let's go ahead and get into the events of last week. And last week was another one of those extremely long weeks, which... I I can't even believe that the last Democratic debate wasn't even a week ago at this point, but obviously I did do an episode on that all by itself. If you don't know, if you're new here, I do give those their own episodes to do the recaps on those. So that is already up if you want to go ahead and listen to that. And I also discussed in there the, the Bernie Liz situation and kind of my thoughts on that. So that is up if you want to go ahead and listen to that. But this will be everything else that wasn't that from last week. So let's go ahead and start with last Monday, which a thing happened that was briefly noticed and then kind of buried in the sands of news time. And that is that Cory Booker has officially dropped out of the Democratic primary. So no more T-Bone. T-Bone is gone. And so with that exit, it leaves, well, let let me phrase it this way. The press keeps saying that the Democratic primary is now entirely white. Apparently, Andrew Yang is white now. I, I wasn't aware of this. I didn't know Asians were officially co-opted into the whites. And I guess we're now admitting that Elizabeth Warren is not a person of color. <laughs> But yeah, it, it's been funny to watch this is like, and, and of course, the Democratic debate was entirely white because Andrew Yang wasn't there. But yes, Andrew Yang still exists, still running, still not white. So, and we do also still have a gay man and we have a few women and we have a Jewish guy. So yeah. There's still diversity, but I guess it's just not the right kind of diversity. I don't know. But on the topic of who is still left in the race, um, this past Sunday night, the New York Times finally released who they're endorsing for the 2020 election, and they pulled the biggest cop-out of all time by endorsing both Elizabeth Warren and Amy Klobuchar, which, first of all, endorsements are supposed to be for one person. That's how this works. You're you're saying this is our person. You don't say this person and this person are our people. And they did this whole stupid, ridiculous, LeBron James-esque buildup to announcing who they're going to be endorsing. And the whole thing was just fucking stupid. It was just so stupid. But yeah, I guess, I I don't know. It's stupid. Like, not that anybody really cares who the New York Times endorses. Like, I don't know if this really matters to anybody. I mean, it might matter for Klobuchar because, like I said during the, the Democratic recap, I don't know how she's still making these stages. I never see anybody talk about her. I don't, I don't know. I've never, 
I've never seen a fundraising number put out for her. Like, I'm, I'm baffled by her presence. But I guess now she's been half endorsed by the New York Times and has to share it with Elizabeth Warren. So, yeah, that happened. The field is slowly kind of culling itself. What is going to happen, especially over the month of February? Because we do have three, three debates in February. The shortest month of the year. There's three debates. Just because it's a leap year does not mean we need to have three debates in one month. But whatever ends up happening after that, who the hell knows? But yeah, so that's that. Cory Booker dropped out. Nobody really noticed, but now you know. So moving on to impeachment, because it is getting ready to be impeachment week again for forever. We had a bit of a break. We ended up getting roughly about a month's break from impeachment, but they will be starting up again on Tuesday, the 21st. Um, The articles of impeachment were officially handed off to the Senate. Um, both the Republicans and the Democrats have released their impeachment briefs. Um, the Democratic one, it was, it clocked in at over a hundred pages and laid out once again, the Democrats case for why they feel like impeachment is warranted here and is proper and kind of goes through the whole case that the house laid out. I mean, if you've, if you've read the reports from house intelligence or house judiciary, you kind of already have the gist of what this looks like. And then the Republican response was seven pages of basically, this is all just very mean and nasty and unfair to President Trump. And that this is just awful, horrible, no good. And this is Democrats trying to overturn the 2016 election, which is still the dumbest talking point ever, because no, that's not what impeachment is. It's not as if Donald Trump gets impeached and then Hillary becomes president. No, Mike Pence would become president. That's how this works. And that this is all just some kind of perversion of the Constitution and just somehow just just awful and horrible and no good and unfair and nasty. So again, if you've read the responses, the Republican responses to the House Judiciary and the House Intelligence Committee reports, you kind of already have the flavor of that too. So nothing really new there, just everybody kind of sticking to what they have already put out there in the public. And so, yeah, impeachment trial starts up again in the Senate on the 21st. Um, I'm not entirely sure what the time frame looks like. I don't have a timeline yet of what is going to happen. Um, There's still questions about witnesses and whether witnesses will be called and who will be called as a witness if any witnesses are called. That is still very much up in the air right now. I think that is probably going to be one of the first things they take up on the 21st. It's having a vote as to whether to call witnesses and how exactly that's going to pan out. So we shall see. I will probably have more to talk about that next week once all this happens and once we kind of get a timeline of what's going to happen when and on what day and who's going to be there and who's not going to be there. Anyway, moving on to kind of the the big piece of news that dropped this week impeachment-wise, and that is the Lev Parnas document drop. And I, I know I'd mentioned before that you guys needed to remember that name, and this is why. Because this was kind of the thing that everybody was waiting to happen. And I want to go ahead before I discuss what's in there. I want 
to explain something because there's been a lot of people kind of portraying the timing of this as somehow like House Intelligence sandbagging the Senate with this information. That's not what happened. Here's the thing. Lev Parnas is currently under indictment for campaign finance charges, and he has wanted to cooperate. He wanted to cooperate with the House investigation. He said that he would gladly testify before House Intelligence, House Judiciary, Full House, whatever. He's willing to testify. But because he is currently under indictment, it's not necessarily up to him what he can and cannot do. And while he was willing to hand over this information, at that point, it was no longer really his to hand over. So what had to happen for House Intelligence to get this information is that the FBI had to approve it, Southern District New York had to approve it, and a judge had to sign off on it for this to be transferred over to the House Intelligence Committee. Because once this information is transferred over to House Intelligence, obviously it's going to become part of the public record. And so it had to go through a couple of layers of vetting to make sure that nothing was going to be coming public that would affect the case currently against him, to make sure that there was nothing kind of privileged or anything like that in there that SDNY or the FBI wouldn't want becoming public because that would then damage their case by having that be public information. So it wasn't entirely his decision or House Intelligence's decision as to when they got this information. They got it when the judge finally signed off on it. And this was one of those situations where people are kind of asking, well, why didn't the House wait? Well, there was no guarantee that this day would ever come. I mean, it could have very well been that Southern District was like, no, we're not releasing this information until we're done with our case, which could have been months, years, who knows. And so it it was one of those situations, much like people refusing to testify in front of the House, where the House kind of had to make a decision that, okay, we can try to wait for this information that may or may not come or we can just roll with what we have and go forward. And obviously the House decided to go forward. So it's not as if this was something that House Intelligence was holding back deliberately. Like they, they did not have this information either. And so they released it when they got it. So they didn't have it when the House was doing their, their investigation and doing their questioning. So it's not a situation where the House was trying to screw over the Senate. And I want like everybody to kind of understand that, that it wasn't th- this timeline for the Parnas information was not entirely up to Parnas and the House Intelligence Committee. But anyway, moving on to the information that was released to House Intelligence and has now been, some of it's been released. It's still in the process of being released because it was a lot of information. Um, where we're at right now is kind of the, the the thing that's kind of made the rounds the most is this one handwritten note that Parnas made in that he put down where he was supposed to be getting in touch with Zelensky and getting him to announce an investigation into Hunter Biden. And let me back up and try to explain, in case you did miss my prior explanation of who Lev Parnas is, um, Ukrainian-American businessman, kind of a shady dude and the where he fits in in this whole Ukraine story is that he was kind of the go-between between Giuliani and company 
and various people in Ukraine, in the Ukrainian government, people no longer in the Ukrainian government. Um, his alleged role up until now, I think at this point, we can all admit that it's been confirmed, was that he was kind of the go-between, between, like I said, Giuliani and company and various people in Ukraine in order to conduct this campaign of dirt digging on Hunter Biden. He was kind of he, he was kind of the point guy. He was the guy kind of setting up the meets, making the phone calls, you know, doing all that kind of stuff. So it, this, a lot of what is in the document so far is not necessarily new information. If you were following along with the impeachment trial, it is things that have already been entered into the public record. But these records from him back up a lot of what was said. And I'm talking, we've got text messages, we've got WhatsApp messages, phone calls, and just basically a lot of stuff that confirms the timeline that has already been put out there and kind of cements the fact that, yes, Parnas was working with at least Giuliani and his merry band of dumbasses to get dirt on Hunter Biden. Like, so this happened. I think it's pretty much undisputable at this point. So... There's just a lot of corroborating evidence in there, but two two interesting things that have come out from this inf- information drop. And again, the first one of this is something that we already knew, but a certain somebody was wanting to deny it, but now there is no denying it. And that is that Devin Nunez did indeed have contact with Lev Parnas. And Nunez, Nunez, I don't, I, I don't know. Nunez doesn't sound right to me. Nunez sounds better. So anyway, I will just use those interchangeably because nobody can figure out how to pronounce this dude's last name. <laughs> so whatever, you there, Devin, dumbass, frivolous lawsuit filer. Anyway, he swore up, down, right, and left that he did not know Parnas. He never talked to him. No idea what anybody's talking about. This is absolutely ridiculous. He actually just threatened to sue Congressman Lou for saying that he had had contact with Parnas, that Nunez, Nunez, whatever, had contact with Parnas. And so, like, two days after that, this all drops. It proves that he did, which... If you will remember back when the House Intelligence Committee report dropped, uh, the phone call records that were in there show that he did have contact. Like, the phone records were right there, dude. Like, we all already knew you're a dumbass. Anyway, so he actually threatened to sue Congressman Liu. And now Congressman Liu is basically like, haha, suck it, dumbass. And so, yeah, he has now had to go on record by saying that, yes, I, I I know this guy, I've had contact with him. What is in the Parnas documents is that one of Nunez's aides was working with Parnas to get information on Hunter Biden. And who they were talking to was Victor Shokin. If you'll remember, Victor Shokin was the prosecutor that Joe Biden got fired. And I, I say that very loosely, because once again, Joe Biden was not acting unilaterally in this situation. He was acting as vice president of the United States at the behest of his boss, the president of the United States, with the backing of most of the free world, that this dude was a corrupt prosecutor, needed to go. So not to conflate what Joe Biden did with what Donald Trump did as far as 
leaning on somebody to affect a certain thing. Anyway, so Victor Shokin was the ousted prosecutor. And one of Nunez's aides was working with Parnas to talk to Shokin to get information on Hunter Biden. This has a couple of different ramifications. First off, it's somebody in Congress who was working with this dude in order to get the information on Hunter Biden, which is, again, proof that this was not about corruption. This was not even technically about Burisma. This was about Hunter Biden. Like, that's it. Like, no, nobody gave a shit about anything else other than getting dirt on Hunter Biden. Second off, Devin Nunez in the House was the ranking member of the Intelligence Committee who sat there at the dais and asked questions, a lot of them pretty damn stupid, but sat there and participated in the event knowing full well that... Like, knowing. Like, you know what the fuck this was, dude. This was your office. You did this. And so, for him to not have recused himself... I mean, at that point, if he would have recused himself, it would have gave up the game. Everybody would have known. But now you have this situation where he sat there as the ranking member of the House Intelligence Committee during these impeachment hearings when really he shouldn't have been. And so I don't know what exactly happens with that information. I don't know what the House does. I don't know what kind of recourse there is because this is just such a bizarre situation that's just, I mean this has never happened before so I don't know what kind of punishment you visit on Nunez for doing that I, I'm I'm very I'm very curious I don't I don't know where this lands other than Devin is in deep shit Devin's got a lot of problems right now so I wow I mean and this was something that was discussed during the impeachment hearings about how Nunez could have been involved in this and probably should have recused himself. But now we know, yes, he was, and yes, he should have. So like I said, I don't know what happens with that information. I I'm, I, I don't know. I, I mean, <laughs> this is new shit. This is just uncharted territory, everybody. I don't, I don't know what we do here. Anyway, the other piece of information that came out from the document drop is apparently, and I say apparently in air quotes here because this is a very confusing situation, but allegedly Maria Yovanovitch, the former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, was under surveillance and or threat from various people looking to get rid of her and were involved in this complete clusterfuck of a situation, which if there's anything to take away from this, these people are idiots. I swear to God, if I am ever president and I want to run some kind of shadow operation like this, I am not hiring the dumbest fucking people on the planet to do it. And that's what happened here. So much of this is just people being fucking dumbasses and not like, not being smooth at all. Not smooth, not slick, doing this in the most ham-fisted way possible. But anyway, so, and and I'm going to try to explain this because, like I said, it is kind of confusing. So the whole reason this came out is that there is some guy in Belgium 
who sent information over to Parnas saying that Yovanovitch was under surveillance and possibly under physical threat. So, we now have a new actor to introduce. I swear to I dude, you guys, covering this Ukraine thing is just, it, it's wild. It, this is just insane. So, anyway, Robert Hyde um, ran for Congress, did not get in. Some kind of businessman, kind of a political bundler, general shady-ass hanger-on dude. So, he was contacting with the guy in Belgium, and it's this is all this is where it gets kind of murky. Um, apparently, he was orchestrating this, but he's got a very sketchy past of stalking people and showing up at Mar-a-Lago, saying that he was being stalked, and he's got charges against him. He's got charges against him from somebody else from him stalking somebody. Apparently, dude has a bit of a drinking problem. Yeah. Just all around shitty dude here, but since this involves a U.S. ambassador and an actual threat to her security, possibly, we kind of have to take this all seriously. So he he was contacting with the guy in Belgium. The guy in Belgium sent the information over to Parnas. Robert Hyde has put forth two explanations at this point. One that this was all just making a joke like he was just joking around like he wasn't actually like doing any of this he wasn't having Ivanovich under surveillance like that like none of that was happening but the other explanation that he's put out is that this was some kind of setup so it can't be both it can't be a joke and a setup because a setup would indicate that this isn't a joke that in and Hyde was on video whether I'm not entirely sure if he knew he was being taped or not but saying that this is like a setup and there the, that somehow he's going to be a fall guy for something. I don't know. This whole thing is just, oh my God, it's so stupid. Like these people are fucking dumb. But anyway, so we've got that. Um, Belgian dude says that, oh, this is just some big misunderstanding. This is all just, we're just yucking it up, making a joke. And I'm like, who the fuck jokes about surveilling a U.S. ambassador? <laughs> That's not something you joke about. I've never, like, opened up my signal and been like, ha, 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 I'm going to have an ambassador surveilled. Like, nobody makes jokes like that. Like, that's fucking absurd. Anyway, so that then kicked off the Ukraine. Ukraine, actually, before the State Department. Ukraine said that they are going to open up an investigation as to whether or not Yovanovitch was under some sort of surveillance while she was in Ukraine. And then it took almost a week later for the State Department to finally be like, yeah, I guess we'll open up an investigation too, whatever. And I'm just like, okay, so Ukraine is taking this more seriously than her actual employers at the State Department. <laughs> you cannot make this shit up, people. And it, it's like, what the fuck? And this would all be almost throwaway, if not for the circumstances in which Yovanovitch ended up leaving Ukraine, which if you remember back to her testimony, and I think I mentioned it at the time, I know a couple of other people did, but in her testimony, she said that when she was recalled back from Ukraine, that it was very much a, a rushed, like, you need to be on the next flight out situation, which is not protocol and was considered very odd at the time, even by herself 
usually it'd be like, okay, you know, take a couple days, take a week, get your affairs in order, wrap things up, and then come back stateside. She was told, no, you need to be on the next flight out. Like, you need to get out now. And when she even asked, like, am, am I in some kind of danger? Is something wrong? The question was never really answered. It was just reiterated that you need to be on the next flight out to the United States. And so at the time, everybody kind of didn't know how to take that or took it as Trump just being kind of a dick. But this whole situation makes that request sound a little more logical because if the State Department did have some kind of inkling of something that Yovanovitch was under surveillance or in some kind of danger, that would make that request make sense. The request that you need to get on the next flight, like you need to get out of Ukraine now. So I'm wondering and hoping that maybe that's going to be investigated a little further. Maybe it is nothing. Maybe it is something. I don't know at this point. But it did make that request from when she was being recalled from Ukraine make a little more sense in context. So whether the State Department is really going to do an investigation onto this, who the hell knows? I have more faith in Ukraine to investigate this, honestly, than I do in the State Department. And so hopefully, maybe we'll find out one way or the other. I mean, I certainly hope it wasn't a situation where she was under physical surveillance and possible threat, because that that takes this to a whole new place. Like, that's that's some next level shit. Like you, mm -mm, no, that's, that's, that would be bad. That would be very, very bad. If somebody in the United States under whose direction, who the hell knows, had a U.S. ambassador under physical surveillance. That's not good. That's bad. That's real bad. So hopefully we'll find out what ends up happening with that. The next thing that came out that is impeachment related is that the GAO, the Government Accountability Office, released a report saying that in their findings, in their investigation, that the White House did actually violate the law in regards to the Ukrainian funding holdup. Which, there's so much going on right now that that kind of made a little baby wave, but not as huge of a wave as you would think, because there's, like I said, there's just so much shit to absorb right now. But, the Government Accountability Office found that the White House violated the impoundment clause. So, that happened. That happened. And this is why, ever since I have been on kind of the impeachment team, and when I gave my personal preferred articles of impeachment before the articles actually came out, I specifically wanted an article related to the impoundments clause because I wanted a discussion as to whether or not what the White House did in regards to holding up the Ukrainian aid funding was or was not a violation of the impoundments clause. Because to me, that, first of all, the impoundments clause is a law. And so if a law was broken, then there is your broken law. I mean, everybody wants to say, oh, well, this will be the first time a president was impeached without breaking a law. Like, okay, well, there you go. There's your broken law. And now the GAO has found that, yes, they did violate the impoundments clause. But to me, even if you don't necessarily agree with the why or the what or 
whether you you feel like this, like, okay, yeah, well, we shouldn't be sending aid to anybody. Like, okay, that's not the question. To me, the central question should be, and I think that the House really missed an opportunity to make this be about this question, is that is what the White House did, is the is the how here? Was the how legal? Was this, if holding up the Ukrainian aid funds in this fashion, was that legal or was that a violation of the Impoundments Clause? To me, you can strip away everything else. I mean, you can strip away the Hunter Biden stuff. You can strip away the quid pro quo. You can do all that and just focus on that issue alone. And here's the GAO saying that, yeah, they violated the Impoundments Clause, which to me is an impeachable offense that's breaking the law. I mean, the Impoundments Clause is very, very clear as to what the protocol is if the president wants to rescind funding. And for what it's worth, there was no preconditions ever put on when this would be released, the funding would be released outside of the infamous perfect phone call where it was said, oh, I want you to find this DNC server and I want you to look into Hunter Biden. So absent any other explanation there, I mean, that's, there There was no time frame saying like, okay, well, we'll release these funds in X amount of days, weeks, months, whatever. So to me, it's a de facto rescinding of the funds. If you're going to rescind funds, you have to go through Congress. There is a pathway laid out in the Impoundments Clause that the president can go ask Congress and then Congress takes it under advisement and then Congress decides whether or not to rescind the funds or not, because it is Congress's job to decide allocation. Like that's, it's not an executive power, that's a legislative power. So you have to go through Congress. It's very clear. So again, how this will pan out, I don't know. I mean, Senate Republicans have already said that they're going to quit. So I don't know. I I don't know. I'm And, and you, they're already... My God, this is going to be such a fuck. This is going to be such a fucking fucking fuck. Yep. Yep. That's probably the best word for it. Maybe I just invented a word. I don't know. But it's just no new evidence is going to sway these people. And that sucks because, I mean, this is important. The Government Accountability Office finding this is important. That is something that should be taken under consideration in a Senate trial. And it's not going to be. There should be witnesses called. I mean, like I've said, Lev Parnas has been very open about being like, hey, I will go testify. Like, call on me. I'm, I'm here. If I can legally go do it, I'll go do it. There's plenty of people that we still haven't heard from that the Senate needs to hear from. Whether any of this will happen, I don't know. And that sucks. That is a really bad place to be. Knowing that this Senate phase of the trial that is about to go forth has already been decided and... Even in light of all of this new evidence, it's not going to matter. I, I don't know what to say to that. Other than this is going to hand the executive branch some very bright, shiny new powers that Republicans will regret. They will regret this. They will live to see the day that this will be shoved down their throat and pardoning Trump for doing this stuff will be used as a justification for another president to go even further. 
That's why this needs to happen. And that's why Congress needs to put their foot down at some point. And if now is the point, I mean, then this that is what it is. This is where we're at. I can't do anything about the past. I can advocate for them to do something that might alter the future. But it's I, I just I have no faith that it's going to happen. And that sucks. That's that's really not good. That's really bad, actually. But the last little bit of impeachment news before we we move on to something else I want to talk about is there is now a debate as to whether there will be cameras slash press allowed in the Senate chamber during their leg of the impeachment trial, which is rich. Given how much time Republicans spent bitching and whining and moaning and complaining about secret hearings and skiffs and people not being allowed in and this not being a public process and that there's no transparency to even remotely, remotely think that it would be okay to ban cameras and the press from the Senate chambers when you're doing this? Fuck you. Seriously, fuck you. And I've made this point before. Not a single argument that Republicans have made during this whole process has been in good faith. And I could I could even accept it if they were good faith arguments that I disagreed with. But none of them have been good faith. Because there's no way if you were really, really pissed off about skiffs and, and secret hearings that you would even suggest this. There's no way. But you weren't. It wasn't never being about pissed off about that. It was just about bitching about something to be bitching about something. And yes, there should be press in the Senate chambers during the impeachment process. It's an impeachment process. What the fuck? Why is this a question? Why? What? Oh, my God. And it's like the ACLUs have to get involved with this. And I'm just like, this is just stupid. This is so insane. I, I don't. I, I ooh, this is just gonna this is gonna set some ugly precedents. This this right here is going to cement some very ugly precedents that is going to come back and bite everybody in the ass. You mark my words. This is going to end badly. It's not gonna end badly for Trump. It's gonna end badly for somebody though. Mm-mm. Anyway, the last thing that I want to touch on is to kind of cycle back to Iran's attack on the Iraqi military base. Um, It was originally reported that there were no casualties, obviously, and that there were no injuries. And while we're still at no casualties, thankfully, um, it has come out that 11 service members were injured during the attack. And they, well, there's 11 that we know about. Um, those 11 suffered traumatic brain injuries and were airlifted to hospitals in Kuwait and Germany for, for treatment. So there were U.S. injuries, not casualties, but injuries. And this kind of kicked off a discussion of when exactly do you announce this kind of thing? Um, for what it's worth, Trump did, well, I'll say he lied. Although I don't know if he was completely assessed of the situation when he went out and said that there was no U.S. injuries. 
I don't know. I don't know when he was told things. He is the commander in chief. I would certainly hope that he was informed whenever whoever knew knew like he's the commander in chief. Like I would hope that information made it up to him. Kind of his job. But I don't I don't think even knowing that information at the time of the attack would have really changed things because there still wasn't casualties. Like if there was casualties that would have changed the metrics of things entirely. But yeah, there's it's worth mentioning that yeah, there were US entries. And so I mean, I don't really know what to make of that. I mean, we're still kind of in this detente right now where everything's kind of just frozen and nobody's really doing anything. And so I don't know what's going to happen with that. But like I said, it is worth mentioning and it is worth kind of understanding, especially again, when you're first getting initial reports on things that they may not be entirely full and there may be information missing. Obviously in this case there was because we have 11 service members with traumatic brain injuries. So yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really know what to make of that. And I don't know, like I said, I don't know if that information was omitted on purpose or just by just not having complete information at the time in which Trump went and spoke to the American people and to the world. So yeah, like I said, just wanted to mention it just as an update, just to let you know, I'm still paying attention to that, but at this point, I am going to go ahead and wrap this up. So if you did make it this far, as always, thank you for listening. And if you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page. Take care and until next time.